I'm Oprah Winfrey. Welcome to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. I believe that one of the most valuable gifts you can give yourself is time. Taking time to be more fully present. Your journey to become more inspired and connected to the deeper world around us starts right now. Throughout my life, and I bet yours too, certain works of literature and film have completely changed the lens through which I see the world. This list is long for me, but there are two classics in particular that I treasure. I was in my early years of high school, living with my mother in Milwaukee, when a librarian made a recommendation that would change me forever. She noticed that I checked out five books each visit and said, if you like reading these kinds of books, you might like To Kill a Mockingbird. She was right. The moment I picked it up, I was entranced. The story of Boo Radley, Scout, and Atticus Finch is probably the reason I started a book club, because it was one of the first books that I wanted everyone around me to read. I was drawn to Scout's spirit. I felt a kinship with her curiosity and admired that, despite her age, young Scout knew exactly who she was and what she believed. I felt emboldened by Scout. At the time, I was awakening to the idea of racism, just like her, and her eyes were opening to the complex realities of the world just like mine. I also wanted the kind of relationship Scout had with her father, Atticus, especially when she called him by his first name. Many years after I'd read the book, I found myself at a luncheon seated next to Gregory Peck, who, of course, portrayed Atticus in the movie version of the book. The only words I could think to say were, so, how's Scout? Mr. Peck was gracious and answered my question about his co-star who played the little girl. Well, he said, that was 40 years ago, so she's okay. To me, Scout was as powerful a character that day as she was the first time I opened the book and then saw her come to life in the movie. A part of Scout will reside in me for the rest of my life. It was the plight of another strong-willed girl in one of the most beloved films of all time that unlocked an early spiritual awakening for me. I was seven or eight when I figured out that The Wizard of Oz was more than a story about a bump on the head and a fantastical dream. The moment I realized that the Scarecrow, the Tin Man, the Cowardly Lion were actually Dorothy's friends from Auntie M's farm, something clicked deep within. I didn't have the words to express it at the time, but as I grew into my own path of awareness, I understood The Wizard of Oz to be one of the great spiritual teachings of all time. Dorothy was on what the great philosopher Joseph Campbell so famously called a hero's journey. The yellow brick road represented the path toward her true self. Along the way, she encountered the disempowered parts of herself, the scarecrow's wish for a brain, the tin man's desire for a heart, the cowardly lion's longing for courage. Like so many of us, Dorothy believed she needed something outside herself. In her case, the great and powerful Oz to bestow the cherished virtues on her friends and bring her home. But in what I believe is the most powerful moment of the film, Linda the Good Witch says the words that spiritual teachers have been trying to convey for thousands of years. You don't need to be helped any longer, Glenda tells Dorothy. You've always had the power. Dorothy's most trusted companion, the Scarecrow, asked Glinda, then why didn't you tell her before? And Glinda replies, because she wouldn't have believed me. 
she had to learn it for herself. This was probably the greatest aha moment of my life. No matter how far away from yourself you may have strayed, there is always a path back. You already know who you are and how to fulfill your destiny, and your ruby slippers are ready to carry you home. Just before Dorothy clicks her heels, she shares the universal lesson that applies to each and every person here on Earth. If I ever go looking for my heart's desire again, I won't look any further than my own backyard, because if it isn't there, I never really lost it to begin with. The final chapter of this book is meant to illustrate that you have the power to discover your purpose and live your greatest truth. It doesn't matter how many yellow brick roads you encounter. It has always been right there, at home, in your own backyard, in your heart. First, Debbie Ford. What do you know for sure? What I know for sure is that we are all created with this phenomenal force inside of us that can have us withstand, like that God never gives us more than we can handle. And that everything that comes our way is coming our way so that we can grow and evolve. And if we look at it like that, if we're willing to open our hearts and see where we're shut down, where we're trying to resist life, then we have the great opportunity to step into who we always wanted to be. Next up, Father Richard Rohr. I deeply believe that, that all spiritual knowledge is not cognition, it's recognition. You're re-knowing what you deeply already knew. Yeah. What, what you deeply intuited, suspected, desired, hoped for, that's the soul. Yeah, because don't we come in knowing? Isn't it Immortal Diamond where you tell the story of the little boy? Can you tell us that story? Yeah, that this family had a little boy who was about three or four. They come home with another little baby boy. Yeah. And the three or four-year-old said, I want to talk to my little brother. And they said, oh, go ahead, you can. And he said, I want to talk to him alone, which surprised them. And so they shut the door and they cupped their ears to the door to listen. And this is apparently what the little boy said. Quick, quick, tell me who made you. Tell me where you came from. I'm beginning to forget. And you know, <laughs> could this be true that we know at the beginning mm -hmm. and we get caught up in all the complexities, personas, struggles of life, and we forget it, but our heart of hearts knows. Knows. Knows, yeah. So is in this quest, like everybody's looking to find themselves when there's really nothing to find, it's all really <laughs> it's within. True. But is the finding of the true self the same as finding God? Experientially, yes. The discovery of myself and the discovery of God will eventually be parallel movements. Well, initially too, that you fall into one and you fall into the other. You fall deeper into yourself, you fall deeper into God. You fall deeper into God, you have permission to fall deeper into yourself, warts and all, you know? So they sort of play back and forth. That was great. Now let's hear from Elizabeth Gilbert. What did you discover that you never knew you had? That I can take care of myself completely. I got my own back. 
I can take care of myself. And I, and I don't just mean you know, financially, I mean emotionally. That I became a responsible enough adult to be allowed to be alone with the child who is inside of me. Like, I can take care of you. And you know that no matter what, you're going to be all right. I'm going to be all right. Now let's listen to Sue Monk Kid. Have you become the woman you wanted to be? I am becoming that woman, yes. And I can own that at 60. And I think, for me, I have this phrase that I call the old woman, and I say that with great fondness. My daughter and I went on travels and wrote a book, Traveling with Pomegranates. And on those journeys, I was searching for that old woman, the woman I wanted to grow into. She's wise. She's bold. She's strong and resilient. She knows her voice. She speaks it, and she stands by it. This is the old woman for me, you know. She's distilled down. In my novel, The Invention of Wings, there's a moment where Handful looks at Sarah, my character at the end, and she says, she's been boiled down into a good, strong broth. (laughs) I I love that line. I want to be that. I want to be a good, strong broth that has those qualities of the old woman I went off searching for. And so you would say, though, still that you are a woman becoming. Definitely. Elizabeth Lesser. I began to see how so much of what I thought she thought about me and that I had internalized is what she thought. Mm -hmm. She didn't even think that about me. We had these misconceptions about what the other thought about the other and we turned them into these big storylines that affected how we felt about ourself putting down those stories, both of us kind of rose out of the childhood stories. Oh, you're the Mm -hmm. little one, you're the bossy one, you're the good girl, you're the bad girl. We put those stories down. And in putting my childhood stories down with a member of my family, which is kind of unusual, most of the time people do it alone, putting it down together, what bubbled up to the surface was just me. I'm enough, just who I am. Oh, that is the quest to figure that out. Yeah. That's everybody's quest. It is. It's everybody's quest. Yeah, and she stepped into her enoughness. I stepped into my enoughness. And you know what happens when two enoughnesses meet? Love. You know, it's like... It's also got to be very powerful. Very powerful. It is powerful. Yeah. In the end, I know the lesson you wish for all of us is to live each day from the marrow. And you write on page 303, deep within the heart of the earth and the marrow of the bones is a compass that quivers to the power of love. And I know that through this journey, you discovered love so big that you say your heart will never shrink Mm -hmm. back to its normal Mm -hmm. size. Yeah, we think that the answer to life is complicated or you got to go on some big quest for it and it it turns out to be you're enough just because you are you're enough and find the seed of enoughness in the other person you know give them that gift you're enough too and that's where love is that is the seed of love two people who know who they are in their grand simplicity seeing each other beyond the labels, beyond the ego, just being enough with each other. Is enough. Mm -hmm. 
Thank you. Thank you, Liz. That was beautiful. Beautiful. Stevie Nicks. My life is a testament to believing that if you want something, you can make it happen. So hope springs eternal, you know? Yes, you will take another beautiful picture. Yes, you will walk on stage in a long black skinny dress again. It's possible. So I think what you just have to tell people is it's all possible. Sidney Poitier. I am most proud of being accepted as a useful human being. Useful to my children, to my parents who are no longer here, to my friends, to my environment. I'm not the, the human being that I would one day hope to be, but I've come a long way. I really have come a very, very long way. And I'm, I'm proud of that because I am indeed a better person than once I ever was. We are imperfect creatures. We are, that's what it is. But we should try reaching for the better you, the better me. There is pain and there is difficulties and there is fears and all the kinds of things that we live with. But it is through them we have to reach. We have to reach out, not just to each other, but to the universe. I've reduced the concept of my existence by saying, I truly, truly try to be better tomorrow than I was today. And I mean better, simply a better human being, not a better actor, not a better anything, but just a better human being. That will please me well. And when I die, I will not be afraid of having lived. Jack Canfield. My belief is that the whole purpose of life is to gain mastery, master of our, our emotions, our finances, our relationships, our consciousness through meditation, things like that. And it's not about the stuff. All the stuff can be taken away. People lose their fortunes, they lose their reputation, beautiful spouses die or leave you. But who you became in the process can never be taken away, never. You are mastering through the process of overcoming these obstacles that you face in life. Mitch Album. Maury said he knew the reason why so many people were unhappy. What was it? He said that they walked through their lives like they were sleepwalking. They were following orders about what they should do with their life based on the culture that we just talked about. And they weren't finding the meaning in their life through giving to other people, being involved with their community, finding something creative, an outlet for themselves. They were busy trying to be somebody else's version of what they thought they should be. And he ended up describing not only me, but an awful lot of people that I knew at that time. And I think he's right. And I think America, unfortunately, we, we have a lot of people who are kind of sleepwalking through. And then we get to the end and we're like, whoa, whoa that can't be it. Wait a minute. Yeah. I, you know, I need... And that's why I believe certain crises, challenges show up in your life as an opportunity to wake up. That's right. Actually. That's right. And sometimes a setback a disease, a heart attack, um, a firing from a job, yeah. a, a loss, always some kind of loss, can end up being a great gain. I actually think the divisiveness that we're now experiencing in our culture, 
between everybody, the us versus them versus us versus them versus, is a wake-up call for society. It's, it's an opportunity for everybody to step into the best of their being yeah. and to show up. It's hard to say, okay, I get where you're coming from, but I'm going to take the higher road mm-hmm. and I'll be the nicer person. Mm-hmm. Sean Ecor. Something particularly as profound as for years, you all have all heard it, is the glass half empty or the glass half full? And I beat myself up because sometimes I look at it and I go, it's definitely half empty. Right. Yeah. And sometimes it's half full, but what does it matter? Well, you're saying, what does it matter if you have a picture nearby? That's right. I think that there's a different way of even looking at this. And that's what we've been saying in positive psychology. I love this. I love this. I love this. I love this. It doesn't matter if the glass is half full or half empty. Yeah, because we get so focused on the glass. Our entire brain is focused on the glass, whether it's half full and half And we can argue forever and ever between optimists and pessimists, and both can say that they're being unrealistic. But it doesn't matter if we could scan more of the world, if we looked at more of the world and saw that there's a pitcher of water that's sitting next to it. And what I love about that is that positive psychology and spirituality, I think that what they're doing is- What about the people who say, I don't have no pitcher? I think that we do. I think that we do the more we connect to other people around us. I would us. say the world itself is the picture. Yeah. yeah. Life the, is the picture. The life is the picture. And we're missing the, the, the picture sometimes when we're so focused on that one element. But if we look for other ways, we can actually fill up that glass. And so I actually could care less about whether it's half full or half empty right now if I could fill it up. And so that's what we have people who start to look for is how do I connect to other people around me? How do I believe my so behavior matters Boy, that changed enough? me. That's good. Oh, God, that's a good one. <laughs> that's a good one. Wonderful. I could care less if it's half empty or half full. Yeah. If you have the picture to fill it up. That's right. We just need to look for it. We need to be able to look and scan the world in a completely different way. And if we're starting to look for those things, we can start to not only fill up our glass, but it allows us to fill up the glasses of other people around us. Robin Roberts. Many people have asked me, they said, did you ever lose faith? And the simple answer is no, that I have been angry with God. He can take it. He can take it. The trick is not to stay angry, and the tragedy is not so much the experience that you're having. The tragedy is that we don't take the time to understand the meaning and the purpose behind what it is we're going through. The point is, my life went on better than I ever could have imagined, and yours can too. That's the point. Optimism is like a muscle that gets stronger with use. When you want to build a muscle, you got to keep using it. But that's how you have to be, and I'm an internal optimist. And so I can find those little silver linings, those little moral victories. I always feel there is something better in mind. And I, I feel that for others too, that the best is yet to come. And it takes courage to believe that the best is yet to come. Jean Houston. I believe that we are here with deep purpose to become all that we can be. I believe that we have been given the most beautiful planet in the galaxy to work out and to enjoy. It isn't just a working out. It is truly to enjoy the gifts of our incarnation. I believe that we are headed ultimately in the right direction. I believe that we have been given sufficient stress, crisis, complexity, and consciousness to do things that are beyond our imagination, larger than our aspiration, more complex than all our dreams. I believe in love, I believe in you, I believe in me. I believe in this, the most potent moment in human history. Jane Fonda. I've done a lot of things in my life. 
there's a lot of parts to my life. I have thought very deliberately and intentionally a lot about my life and why certain things happen and what they mean and so forth. I learned that the goal is to be whole, to be of a piece, to reside inside your skin. I don't want to die tomorrow, but if I do, I go out happy because I've worked hard at making the most of what I've been given. My best legacy is my life. And the lesson is, it's never too late. Gary Zukov. It's just like The Wizard of Oz, one of my favorite spiritual teachings. It's just like the moment when the Wicked Witch of the West is trying to get to Dorothy and Glinda says, go away, you have no power here. You have no power here because the goodness and the light is so strong that the Wicked Witch of the West has no ability to affect that territory. That's right. The universe doesn't look in terms of good, bad, better, worse, success, failure. It looks in terms of limitation and opportunity. The more the loving parts of your personality are the ones you're cultivating, the more opportunity you have. Absolutely. The more fear is controlling you, the more contracted and the more limitation you have. But isn't the ultimate lesson to Dorothy, where Glinda says to Dorothy, you've always had it, my dear, you've always had the power. Isn't that the ultimate lesson we're all trying to remember? Yes, it is, that you are a powerful and creative, compassionate and loving spirit. And the more you cultivate a loving part of your personality, the more it begins to fill your experience and your field of awareness until that's all that is. So creating authentic power is a process. It's not an event. It's done decision by decision, step by step, choice by choice. The point is to contribute what you can to life because that's the nature of love. And love doesn't require that it be acknowledged. Doesn't require that it even be effective. <laughs> when the sun shines on you, it doesn't say, how'd I do today? <laughs> you know, are you appreciating me yet? I can do better tomorrow. Yeah. It just shines. And that's where the joy in life comes from. And to create that place is our evolutionary requirement now. That's creating authentic power. That's what requires becoming aware of every part of our personality and not acting on those that control us compulsively, unconsciously, and acting on those that we know are aligned with our soul. Well, that is the essence of the seat of the soul. That is the seat of the soul. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. You can follow Super Soul on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Super Soul Conversation. Thank you for listening. 